Amen. This morning, I have a short sermon I want to share with you on availability. Are you available? In Mark chapter 6, from verse 1 to 3, we read, Jesus left that party of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, which is his hometown. This is Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. He's the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. And the people were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Amen. But here we read that in Nazareth, his hometown, the people knew his siblings. And Jesus had a number of them. So for brothers, he had James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. So Jesus had at least four brothers that the people knew. And sisters. We don't know how many sisters he had. Now in John 19, Jesus is hanging on the cross. It's Good Friday. And verse 25 to 27 of John 19, we read, Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, Mary, his mother's sister, Mary, who was the wife of Clopas, and then Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast out seven demons, and John. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, who is John, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, John, here is your mother. And from then on, his disciples, that disciple took her home. Amen. To his home. Amen. Now, the question which is missing in the crucifixion story is where are the four brothers of Jesus? Where were they? Where were his sisters? His mother was there. His aunt was there. And then Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast out seven demons, was there. And John, a disciple, the brother of James, was there. But where were his siblings? In fact, if you look at the history of that family, it quite appears that by the time Jesus enters into his ministry, Joseph, his father, had passed away. Because Joseph is totally missing in every account. And it is, I mean, this was the patriarchy, you know, but, but he was missing in every account. So Mary at this moment was very, very probably a widow. But she wasn't just a widow. She was a widow who had at least five sons and daughters. And at the moment where her first son is being crucified, her other children are nowhere to be found. They were not available. Amen. In fact, there was one time uh, in Matthew chapter, twi- uh, chapter 12, verse 46 to 50, where we read an account of Jesus preaching to the crowd and then his mother and some of his brothers, or maybe all of them, show up. 
And then somebody says, uh, hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And then he, he replies, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. Jesus is saying that whoever makes themselves available for the kingdom is my family. Amen. Are you available? In fact, uh, normally when we, we read the Bible, it doesn't matter how religious you are, there's a tendency to skip the genealogies, you know, where, and, and this one begat this, and this one begat that, and, and that one begat that. But in Matthew, if you were to just take a bit of time and read the genealogy of Jesus, the line out of which Jesus came, basically what you're reading is a long list of people who made themselves available. If any one of those people had not made themselves available, Christ wouldn't have come. Amen. And in verse 5 of that list of people, you read Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah, Uriah, depending on how you want to pronounce that name. This is a scandalous list. In the genealogy of Jesus is a whole list of imperfect people. People we probably wouldn't want in church. <laughs> people whose history is just bizarre. And yet, because they made themselves available, we find them here. The first one in this list from verse 5 is basically a couple. Salmon and Rahab. Who is Rahab? If you get to the part of the Bible where you read about Rahab, which is in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, the headline says, the prostitute of Jericho or the harlot of Jericho. It doesn't get more blatant than that. But this is who she was. This is her past. This is her story. You know, Joshua had sent two spies into Jericho because God had promised them Jericho and they needed to conquer Jericho. And when the two spies went, of all the places they could go, they went to a brothel. <laughs> and this woman saves them. And basically, she chooses to become a Jew. She, she, she chooses to become a part of this Jewish family. She made herself available. To be a Jew and be a prostitute, you are totally an outcast. To be from Jericho and to be a prostitute, you are a double outcast. But she made herself available. Amen. What excuses are we making for not making ourselves available for God? How many times do we look at our failings and think, oh, because of this, because of that, God cannot use me. Because of this, I don't feel qualified for what God wants me to do. Oh, let's leave the work of God for the holy people. Let's leave 
the missions to the holy people. Let's leave evangelism to the holy people. Let's leave giving to the poor, to the rich. Let's give, let's leave uh, uh, saving the weak to the strong. Let's, you know, I am not qualified. How many times do we disqualify ourselves when God has not disqualified us? If we find Rahab the prostitute. But in this story, it's not just Rahab who makes herself available, but a man called Salmon also makes himself available. Many people believe Salmon was one of the spies. There is, it's very hard to prove that. But basically, the name Salmon means a covering. Amen. Amen. This woman had a troubled past. You know, she had a troubled past. Life had been challenging. She's had her own struggles. The last thing she needed was a man who would look down on her. A man who would use her past against her. A man who would despise her. A man who would consistently remind her of where she came from. She deserved better than that. So God decided to bless her with a man whose name is Salmon. Amen. Uh, I'm not talking about Salmon the fish. <laughs> I'm talking about a man whose name is Covering. How many times... I mean, do you even realize that making yourself available can be God's, I mean, basically what you'll be remembered for. The only thing we remember this man for is that he was willing to overlook the stigma of society, to, to overlook the judgment of his friends and say, no, I want to marry Rahab, the harlot of Jericho. And not only did he marry her, he covered her beautifully. How do we know? We know because in this list, in this genealogy, we meet who their son was. And his name was Boaz. Amen. Hallelujah. And when we meet Boaz, he's a rich man. He's a successful man. He's not a poor man. In fact, he's one of the most successful people in Bethlehem. And a Moabite widow shows up. And he looks at her and says, oh, be, be, be kind to her. Basically warns every one of his employees and says, treat her with kindness. Treat her with respect. Amen. And finally, based on the advice of her mother-in-law, Ruth goes and lies at the feet of Boaz at night. And she, she utters a statement that resonates with Boaz. She said, cover me, for you are my kinsman redeemer. When she told, me, when she told him, cover me, she was invoking in, in Boaz the example he had seen his father be. Amen. To make ourselves available for God's work is not necessarily always about going out there and preaching the gospel. A lot of it is who we are at home, amen, in our families. Are we husbands who cover our wives? Because by that example, our sons will learn to cover their wives, amen. Or are we men who are all religious and all spiritual, speak amazing Christianese and very elaborate tongues in church and around Christians, but are the meanest people in our homes, to our families, to the people closest to us? Are we truly available for the master to use? Ruth, who was an outcast, an immigrant, a people 
she came from a people that the Jews despised, could confidently go and lie at the feet of this man and say, cover me for you are my kinsman redeemer. She could do that because she knew that he was a kind and generous man. Amen. To make ourselves available for this work, for, for the missions, for the kingdom of God, it's not always about the sacred as the world or as the church defines it. Who we are in private life, in public life, how we do business. Just before service, uh, a friend was telling me about another Christian friend who had swindled him out of $40,000 and is going around gossiping and telling other lies about him. Who does that? How does this person become a testimony? But every day in our, in, in our every journey, in both the so-called secular and the sacred, we have great opportunity to make ourselves available for the master to use. Amen. Uh, there's something remarkable that Ruth told her mother-in-law, Naomi, when they had to go back to Bethlehem, when they had to leave Moab and go to Bethlehem. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 17, no, in fact, from verse 16, but Ruth replied, he said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be, I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Amen. Can you... Yes, we stood in church. In fact, I don't remember the exact vows I made when I got married 15 years ago. I'll be honest. Maybe you remember yours. <laughs> but we read an account of a woman who had lost her husband. I mean, at this point, Naomi was totally uh, useless to, to, to the future of Ruth in the physical. She's a widow. She's old. She's broke. You know, she has nothing. She's a stranger in the land of Moab. And she wants to go back home. You know, if, if, if Ruth was like most of us, she would just put the woman on the STC bus, take her to the STC station, uh, wave her bye-bye, uh, shed a few Ghanaian tears, you know, miss you, and see her off. And then she can restart her life. But she says, no. She says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. I'm never coming back here. Amen. So in the genealogy of Jesus, we see all these infect, imperfect people. We see another woman, Bathsheba, who basically is a victim of rape. It's called power rape. When a powerful person puts you in a corner and for fear of losing your job or for fear of losing your life, you consent. And we watch David rape this woman, not only rape her, kill her husband. And yet her name is in there and his name is in there. Because in the midst of their failings, great failings, inexcusable failings, they still somehow made themselves available for God to use. We have no excuse. A murderer is in there. An adulterer is in there. A victim is in there. People who were scoffed at was in there. In fact, Jesus' own mother Mary, in the very first scripture we read, is scandalized by the people of Nazareth. 
In Jewish society, you never meet a man who is called the son of a woman. It never happens. In fact, Matthew chapter 1, and Abraham begat Isaac, you know, and begat, it's always father to son, father to son, father to son, father to son, father to son. And yet, <laughs> the people of Nazareth, isn't he the carpenter, the son of Mary? In other words, in the society, there's bickering and gossiping, and they're like, uh, did you hear that story about how she got pregnant? <laughs> Have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit somehow coming upon a person and all of a sudden they are, it's called immaculate concept. Immaculate what? And then they'll break out laughing. Uh, Jesus, son of Mary. He was scandalized. Mary was scandalized. But she didn't let the shame because people have no faith, you know, the stigma of that to stop her from making herself available. She told the angel, be it unto me according to your word. Amen. Hallelujah. We have no excuse. This morning, I want, us to, I want to end this basically with a scripture from, from, from the book of Psalms. In Psalm 64, sorry, Psalm 68, verse 4 to 6, uh, King, King David, <laughs> the guy who raped somebody's wife and killed a guy, <laughs> this was on a good day. He had repented and he's, he's praising God. And he says, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. And then he says this about God. He says, God is father to the fatherless. Defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. And then he continues. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Amen. Hallelujah. So you may be here and you think that, oh, I'm fatherless. I'm a bastard. I have nobody in my life. You think, oh, I'm a widow. You know, I have nobody who covers me. I'm the scorn of society. I'm not educated enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I don't know how you classify yourself, but we all tend to somehow classify ourselves in ways that are not appealing. And the psalmist writes and says, it doesn't matter how you see yourself. God fits in in your life. He, he's a solution to your problem. Amen. God equips you for this life and beyond. God can use you. He is a defender of widows. This is who he is. But how does God defend widows? How does he do it? He will use a Ruth, a woman who herself is not perfect, who herself has her issues, and Ruth will make herself available to a widow in her time of suffering. How does God defend the fatherless? He will use you and he will use me. Amen. God is all these things to humankind only when we, his children, make ourselves available. Hallelujah. How does God feed the hungry? When was the last time manna literally rained from heaven on earth? When was the last time that happened? So how does God feed the hungry? If we read in scripture that God feeds the hungry, how does he do it? 
He uses you and me. We the extensions of his grace. Hallelujah. How does God comfort the brokenhearted? You know, some strange air comes out of the air condition and wraps around them and all of a sudden they're like, oh, thank God I'm comforted. No, that's not how it happens. It's you and me picking our phone calls, sending a message on WhatsApp, reaching out, going into people's homes, going into people's situations and being there for them. That is how God comforts the comfortless, the brokenhearted. How does God set prisoners free? It is we, the church, becoming activists in society, going into the prisons, making sure that people who've been in there, who have never been to trial, get the opportunity to see a judge. Making sure those who can't afford lawyers, you know, get lawyers. Making sure that the justice system works. And when pardon can be given, we make sure that we lobby and pardon is given. We can spiritualize scripture, but a lot of it, a lot of who God is, is through us. Amen. Amen. And this morning, I want us to just spend some time in prayer. How many times have you looked at yourself and feel unqualified? Feel that, oh, let other Holier people do it. You know, let more intelligent people do it. Let richer people do it. But God says, no. If I could use a rapist, and I could use a drunkard, I could use anybody, I can use you. Amen. But he can only use you when you make yourself available. Jesus could hand his mother over to John because John was available. Amen. You see, John was not the most qualified. Mary had her own children. The whole of Jesus' ministry was just three years. So the longest he had known John was three years. Okay? These were siblings he grew up with. If anybody was qualified in the flesh to take care of old Mary, the widow, it was her own children. They knew their mother better than everybody else. But they didn't make themselves available. But John, who was not as qualified, who was not related to her by blood, he made himself available. Can you put your sense of not being qualified aside and just make yourself available? If, because if you make yourself available, he can use you. Amen. Let's bow down heads in prayer. One of the significant things about all these unqualified people God used is that they came to a place of repentance. So it's not as if Rahab continued prostituting and God was using her in her prostitution. No. She came to a place of repentance. She changed and became a new person. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, be a new person, new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Maybe you are here and you deep down know that you would want God to use you. You would want to be a vessel in the master's hands. But something is impeding you. You know, something is stopping you from making yourself available. Maybe you are afraid that your past will be used against you. Maybe you are afraid that you are not bold enough, you are not eloquent enough, you are not educated enough. The master says he wants to use you. If you want to be prayed with, we'll be happy to pray with you. Step forward, we'll pray with you. That the Holy Spirit himself will touch you. That the Lord himself will empower you. That the Master will use you.